we're in Spokane, Washington for the final episode of Traverse Talks yep. Season 2. And I'm Sue Ann Ramella with Greg Mills, Michaela Fox, our producers, our audio engineers, and you know, this podcast is really only existing because of the two of you. Why did you want to keep it going? Probably, I would say for the same reason that we wanted to start it. I guess it was twofold. We work in public broadcasting and our audience is, uh, dare I say, not young. <laughs> in general, you know. Uh, for the for the traditional, right? For and, the radio and the TV yeah, land. Yeah, and I and I think you know we're seeing a, even a difficult transition and have been for several years, even with traditional uh, and commercial radio sources and, and and television as well, trying to find a way to make our products something that works in digital platforms and is distributed in non-traditional ways. Mm. And I would say that that's really probably at the heart of the very reason that Michaela and I wanted to pursue this is because it's a thing. You know, podcasts are a thing and they have been a thing for quite some time. <laughs> so, you know, short story long, I think that that is at the heart of probably why we wanted to, because we need to move forward and we need to start thinking about uh, distributing our thoughts and our creative endeavors in ways that are not over terrestrial radio or cable or even terrestrial TV. And we'll get into it, I'm sure, a lot more as we go, but I certainly have been in the last two seasons very pleasantly surprised at what started out as a, uh, a very simple idea because we work at Washington State University's campus and so we were very close to a lot of different writers and uh, that were coming in. Visiting writers. Visiting writers. Yeah, and authors. Yeah. And then you came in and you're like, look. Let's just do this. Look who's visiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My thought was, why would they say no, right, to an, like an NPR station? The reputation is enough to get them in the door. Yeah. Even if they did say no, that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. So that was kind of our thought was like, why would they say no? And then even if they did say no, the worst thing that they said was no. Mm -hmm. And you just go, great, then we'll find the next person and they hopefully will say yes. Then we got them through the door and they made me cry. <laughs> Almost <kidding>. immediately. It <laughs> <Yeah>. seems. <laughs> I say that. Well, look, you can't see this, dear listener, but they brought a box of tissue for me for this finale episode just in case. I teared up. I'm pretty sure it's the same box of tissues. We wanted to make sure that it was authentic from the studios in Pullman, Washington, that we've done at least your part of the recordings. It is the WSU low-bid, mm -hmm. sandpapery kind. <laughs> yeah. I think the crying, though, is because all of our guests in their various ways, except for maybe a couple of them, have really uh, spoke to very authentic, deep feelings about life, which is why I think this podcast is so good. People open up and share their life experiences, and some of those are pretty difficult. Which, I guess to start the series, right, we had Rika Aoki, who usually had a connection with, mm -hmm. I mean, the first season was all about your mother, and we didn't know it was going to be a crying season until Rika came on, and Rika came on, and it was like, you brought oh, in, okay. you brought in an Asian American, yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if she was Japanese; it's just that she's Asian American, and I was like, my mom, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, my mom too. I love uh, the pain, the pain is real, but it's not okay. Just so you know, even though I complain and the pain is real and the tears are real, there's just this. It's really deep love with your Asian mother because <laughs> whether or not we want to believe it the 
the sacrifices they made to come to this country and give you this opportunity and remind you that they sacrificed mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. is so deep. So, like, I'm hearing her story and I felt it. And we emailed. I emailed Rika afterwards and we talked about recipes and we talked about, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were closer and we could meet up? There are just some people you meet in work that you want to maybe become friends with after. Yeah. Rika was great in discussing parts of identity. What part of the interview were you guys struck by? Well, you know, we listened to an interview that she had with WSU a couple weeks before we even interviewed her. And it was the first time we listened to that poem that she reads. She doesn't actually read in the episode. It's a bonus extra if you want to see it on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. That poem spoke to anybody. To be accepted. To, yeah, and and what and do I reflect well on my on my family yeah. in the way that you know you'd be proud of me sort of thing. Yeah. And she certainly had a you know more tumult uh, in her growing up uh, life than than I have, but I can still relate to that poem. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's why it was so touching. I thought. Mm. Yeah. And I think with Becky Albertalli and Scott Leadingham's that kind of connection of yeah. how you present yourself to the world and how people react to that, like presenting, you know, she in that poem was more considered about her grandma and, would, you know, just, did she make her grandma proud? Where like Becky, she wrote as a quote unquote cis person and then came out so late after these books came out. Mm-hmm. It was like a backlash where maybe Rika maybe didn't have to deal with that since she presented herself so much earlier the exploration yeah yeah, yeah. so albertali's exploration was happening in front of an audience yeah while rika had her transformation not so public exactly and was kind of just like here i am this is who i am you can like it or not like it right. where i think becky had to deal with i've already been successful but now i'm going to come out uh, as bisexual and they see it as a marketing ploy exactly mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. you know oh, this is just to sell your books. But I thought it was so interesting in her interview with Scott that she was writing about herself. Subconsciously. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And how your brain can be sending you messages or your instincts and you keep ignoring it. Right. You got a list there on your leg, Greg. What's on your list? I guess Jennifer Griffin is the one that I have written down next. Jennifer Griffin, the dyslexia, she's not a dyslexia expert. Her title is something different. She's a speech pathologist. In her emphasis is dyslexia. Okay, and you have to explain how we got her as a guest. Basically, after I graduated college and I got into the real world, I like felt like there were certain situations where I, th- I started to learn about dyslexia and kind of more dived into it. And I was like, this seems like maybe this is something that was like part of my life. And so I would talk with Greg and one of our other coworkers, Matt, all the time about it. Their favorite thing to do is whenever we would have scripts or anything, they would love for me to read them <laughs> aloud. Like brothers. Exactly, ex- exactly. Right. Because, you know, and I make fun of them for everything as well. So I think this- they call it bullying in <laughs> HR. But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so whenever there was a script or something, they would always make me read it aloud just because they thought it was hilarious whatever words I could come up with. Mm. And so I started researching dyslexia, and then it kind of became this thing of like, okay, but I'm... I already graduated college. I have a job. Who cares if I'm labeled dyslexic or not? And then there was an article in this like 
Pullman newsletter about this dyslexia center called the Summit Dyslexia Center, which is where Jennifer Giffen works. And so when we had this opportunity of this podcast, I was like, Craig, I, I think we should get this lady on <laughs> in a way of not having to pay copay. <laughs> like if we get this lady in, then, you know, I, 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 might, I might kind of know. <laughs> Is yeah. that what you're... Qu- okay, so just so you know, dear listener, <laughs> Michaela also comes up with questions. We all do research. Greg and I do research on all the guests, and we compile our questions, and then I put them into, you know, my words and stuff. But when I got the questions for Jennifer from Michaela about dyslexia, they were very specific questions. I was like, dang. And then you you told me. You told me you're like, yeah, this is kind of a personal one. And so please ask these questions. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I know that six-year-olds aren't listening to our podcast. Right. So this is, you know, might be beneficial for someone who's like, what are the signs I should be looking for? Mm-hmm. So I set up an appointment with uh, Jennifer. And we ended up um, doing three sessions. And then a few weeks after, she called me and was like, so, yeah, you fit the profile of someone who does have dyslexia so it is the sounds right because when she first asked like well why do you think you have dyslexia i'm like sounds don't make sense to me just the other day squish squish and i was like i don't know what combination of letters make up the word squish sure because in your brain there's a different way of connecting yeah that is not what the the majority has. Yeah, it's so good that she says it's like your brain, right? Which it's not you. It's not you, right? You're not being obnoxious about being like, can you spell that slower for me or whatever? Like, I know the first letter is S, but it's like as if all the letters in the alphabet just jumped into a black hole and we're like, bye. Yeah, the Q and the U jumped off first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then I have to be like, Alexa, can you spell squish for me? And she's like, yeah. And then, but then she spells it too fast oh and I'm like and I'm like I only got the s I'm like I'm still stuck on the s and I guess Jennifer said that like some people with dyslexia it's almost like they have to picture the letter in their brain for them to be like okay that's the letter I need to like write down which sometimes I feel like so when someone I'm like hey how do you spell this word and they just rattle it off I do get stuck because I'm like okay I I pictured the first letter you said Mm -hmm. but then I was trying to picture what the second letter you said and now you're already on seventh letter What I love about this is we are learning that, I mean, I think logically we know not everybody thinks like we do, but it's such a shallow way of saying it. Like literally people have different synapse that do or do not connect and they literally think differently than you do. Yeah, and like the short-term memory and the long-term memory is that it doesn't stick. So she was like, you're poor in short-term memory and long-term memory. And so it's this idea that I could figure out the word squish and then the next day I could be writing and it's gone. What does it feel like to have this answer? I think maybe more now, I feel validated in the sense that if oh. I if if I read something wrong and someone goes that's not how that's pronounced and I go oh I have dyslexia and they go if someone goes oh you're just saying that. And it's like, no, no, no. I did the test. It'll take me 10 <laughs> minutes to read this contract. Oh, if you hand me a piece of paper, I'm not reading it. Oh, yeah. Like if there's any time a direction sheet came around and they're like, read the directions and like pass it along. I get it. And I would wait the appropriate amount of time. You act. Imagine how many people have acted all their lives. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. And that, and that was actually the thing Jennifer talked about is 
during my test, she's like, okay, so yes, we found out that, you know, you fit all the signs of someone who has dyslexia, but when I made you do things, because a lot of the test was like, we use these words, they're made up words, what she does, and it's to get you out of this realm of what you memorized. What you've memorized, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And But when we got into the test where it was real-world application, she was like, you got it down. So she's mm-hmm. like, you, whatever tricks and trades you have learned, you've made it in the real world. It's working for you. Exactly. Speaking of making it in the real world, then we had a conversation with a dementia care specialist, Judy Cornish. Yep. Yep. And we talked about different levels of losing dementia. I was blown away when she said, if you reach the age of 80, you are definitely going to have some form of dementia in America by the time you die. Yeah. And with our life expectancies uh, increasing, our brains aren't necessarily following suit. And that dementia is not just Alzheimer's. Right. Mm -hmm. That I did not know. And then I really appreciated the way she described five ways that you think or your reasoning skills and how you lose maybe three of them by the time you get dementia and what families can do to help save family wealth by caring for their elders at home because I don't think Americans think they can. Yeah. Right? Like, everybody's like, if you get dementia, I'm putting you in a home. Well, I think there are some some more traditional families, I guess, that are carrying on longer uh, family traditions that will be more adept at because they they naturally feel uh, like you you take care of your your elders as mm-hmm. they as they age but i'd say by and large the american family is not equipped no or they don't even think they can right and part of it's just because they don't have any experience with it what it drops out a generation or two ago and you don't have any experience with it yeah, that's interesting when she said that well even uh what was her name um christine hemp yes christine hemp where she talks about actually like recognizing the reality that they're in. Uh, yeah, bring them back to our reality isn't necessarily healthy. Yeah, and you said in the interview, you know, we, we tend to want to correct. Yeah, we do. Instead of just join them where they're at and take the stress out of it. Which I think we can apply to other areas of our societal life is why do we insist on correcting people when they tell us, I'm really a man in a woman's body, or right. I have dyslexia. No, you don't. You graduated from college. You're fine. Like, why do we <laughs> feel like we have to correct people yeah. in order to fit what reality we think should or be? Even like, or even like Jesse Clyde, right, where his reality is just like, I'm living life. Even after that interview and he left our studio, we were just like, I could not live that life. But why are we putting our life onto him? He seems so fine with it. Oh, he's so fine. He (laughs) was a challenging interview for me because he didn't fit. Oh, yeah. Like, I am assuming, and this is so wrong of me to assume, that artists have pain. But Jesse... has joy. Just a happy guy. I know. I mean, you asked one question after another about whether or not he was supported by his family. Uh, did he run into sort of bullying and separation in school? And the answer every single time was no. I was just fully accepted. I just have nothing but great memories of all of it. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Were you panicking? I was. As you were going through. <laughs> I mean, because like you've said earlier, me and, you know, Greg will write a list out and you'll write a list out. And I mean, the list usually isn't long because usually people will talk or you'll find something else to say. I mean, 
you were going through that list pretty quickly. Oh, we burned through that list. <laughs> and I tried with the yes and no questions and, and extrapolate with him. But yeah, it was like. And then you turned it on him and said, okay, do you have questions? Because he was so smitten with you <laughs> the whole interview. He was. I liked him at the end, too, after I got over myself. Like, he's not answering any of my questions. God damn it. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Flow with this guy, man. I want what you're on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you found it. I did. And then we had fun chatting. And when he asked me, what is it about my mother's painting? We have the tissues next to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going yeah. to try my best. But I was like, wow, Jesse, way to go. And I honestly would like to hang. He lives in Moscow. Yeah. So I would really like to hang out with him because I find his way of looking at the world intriguing. And I want to know more because it seems peaceful. Yeah. And yeah. I, he's on to something. Right. When, even when he talked about how, like, you were like, oh, well, sometimes people paint and it's like pain and people don't want to confront that. And he's like, well, that's just a part of you or that's like, it's a fleeting part of you. That's right. And yes. like, again, it's kind of the dyslexia. It's just, it's a part, but it's not like who you are. And it could be something separate and you can kind of like find that divide that it, it's my brain, it's not me. Yes. And it's kind of him with like, it's that pain in that moment, but it's not who you are. It doesn't define you. Yeah, I thought that part was like really just, you know, insanely interesting. I did too. I, that interview in the end, especially the edited end, yeah. surprised the heck out of me because it wound up being just this, this really fantastic, just got off the freeway and had a conversation <laughs> that didn't, I, you know, I, every one of the conversations had its own individual flavor to it and a ride, sometimes bumpy, sometimes not, uh, between you and, and the person you were talking with. But that one was a real side road and, and it was cool because of that, I thought. It was, and I learned a lot. This podcast, like so many programs on NWPB, is brought to you courtesy of donors, people who watch and listen to NWPB for thought-provoking programs like Traverse Talks, people who give what they can to pay for current programs and the technology for future programs. You can join them. Donate any amount that is right for you at nwpb.org. Thank you. Jesse's lifestyle, the artist, was inspiring to me because he doesn't need a lot. Yeah. And I have grown up needing a lot. And now I'm faced with this change. But even with talking to a lot of our guests on the podcast, just different ways of living and being, it's mm -hmm. you really don't need a lot. But I, I think it brought up, and we've discovered it in many of the uh, the different guests that we've had, that, that it does get us to these places where we're really thinking about some things that we that we hadn't before. or In our own lives, yeah. In our own lives. I mean, I, this, I, I mean, I don't know how many times we talked about uh, relationship stuff. And I know we talked about Christine Hemp uh, briefly. Another chief uh, part of her interview was was about a relationship that, that she had that was toxic with somebody that she saw as a real kindred spirit yeah and that one just just stuck with me in in, in so on so many levels because I could just look back and go pieces and parts of it and not not everything was so toxic that I had to just leave it you know completely in the dust or whatever but just different relationships with people where you realize that it wasn't quite what it what it seemed uh, and she had a really I don't know if it was an artsy way of looking at it. It was kind of a whole way of looking at it, I thought, the way that she solved those problems, kind of worked her way through realizing that she was in a toxic relationship and an emotionally abusive one. 
and she got out. Yeah. You know, uh, not everybody gets out, uh, or you don't get out with so big a scar that you're uh, you're as hurt as the person who was, you know, uh, that you were dealing with. It was, as she said, uh, yeah. uh, uh, definitely a person with deep hurt. Uh, that she thought was the her perfect match kind of thing and i guess yeah. you know uh, along the lines of so many people that we talk to and about so many different things that you talk to i it feels like we did because we, we, we had these headphones on <laughs> we're listening to them, right? yeah. editing them and, and finishing them but so many uh so many perspectives and so many solutions to to problems especially with relationships and that one really hit me it's like gosh i know somebody who was in one of those wait a minute that's kind of sort of at least in a sideswipe sort of way kind of like a relationship i had and uh, what did she say she felt that she was living a lie because the outward presence of the relationship was perfect but when they went home and closed the door it was a Jekyll Hyde kind yeah, of thing yeah, and she did yeah. not like living a lie yeah and uh, I, I I really applaud her upbringing sounds like her family was really helpful for her in knowing and her true north knowing where her feelings were because I think uh, especially for a lot of women we are really good at ignoring our true north and instincts because we want to please mm. or we want or vision visualize the way it should be and we think we can make it that way mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. the speaking of relationships I also think that um, Sandy Williams also really talked about yeah. that as well right the relationship from you know living uh, as a black woman in Spokane and just like as a white person who's just moved up Spokane, you know, there's this thing of, I can walk into any of these kind of stores and, and not really feel any kind of thing, right? Because everyone there is white. But she's she views this town as home, yet she walks into everyday life in feeling like she's still an outsider. And yet I've lived here, you know, a month and a half or whatever. And, and you I, blend. And I can blend, mm -hmm. exactly. I really appreciated that point she made because she, uh, it made me realize that growing up, especially on an Air Force base in Tacoma, there were a lot of kids that looked like me and a lot of moms that looked like my mom. Yeah. And um, it felt good. And then when we moved to Puyallup, because it had a higher school district, I mean, I realized I didn't fit in so well. Uh, mm. Even though I blend, I it's there. There was just it was different. It wasn't quite the same. People didn't get me anymore. But that's okay. It, you learn. It makes me a stronger person. Right. And Sandy said a lot of that too yeah. about the strength, but also a lot about being exhausted by mm -hmm. it and going home and finally relaxing and closing her door and just your being herself. Life. Yeah. Your, your whole life has a degree of exhaustion that just never goes away. Because it's work. Yeah. Because you're always kind of assessing situations and choosing work. Words when I have a feeling when you're with your people, I and I I don't want people to think I'm being divisive when I say this, but you, I think you get what I mean when you have your friends, your inner circle, and you can say the craziest shit, and it could be funny, right. or what, and they're just they roll with you, but you cannot do that with everybody. No, I mean like when you asked her, you know, where is it safe for you to be? black in Spokane and she's like my house you just reminded me of something I talked with my mom about because <laughs> we can't get through this interview without me mentioning my mom of course we were hoping this, yes. this podcast this is, is essentially about your mom I know it really should have been called Ramella's mom Ramella's mom but I'm glad we're sticking with reverse talks because then yeah. we can just sort of keep it as an underlying theme and not have to you know. and she, there is no danger of her ever hearing these conversations she doesn't even know what email is 
All right. Good. Okay, so she said to me, uh, my mother is very conservative. So, uh, like, her version of Korean, you know, culture and married to a military man, and just they're conservative and religious. But I was so happy to hear her say this story. When she goes shopping, she always looks for the youngest cashier. Boy or girl, white or brown or black, young one. Because the young ones treat her nice, like she belongs there. The older ones, she said they have, the older ones already know, you know, how to treat people like me. But the younger ones, they haven't been taught yet. And I was so sad for her. Yeah. But then I said, but mama, it's the young ones that you keep complaining about that, that they're actively not othering people. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this after the podcast too, right? Of like it seems like that group is really trying to make sure that we break the cycle. Yes. Whether it was in our own home or not, that you're breaking the cycle of what that generation before you did and saying I'm actively every day waking up going I'm not going to do that. There's a lot more thinking internally, and I think there's more mixing of families. So you may have a cousin who is a person of color, or thank you, gays. You may have a family member who is outwardly gay, and you're like, oh, I still love you. Uh, So if you're different, but I can still love you, then can I still love other people who are different than me? I think all of that combined has made this younger generation more open. Like my daughter, she's grown up with, have you seen She-Ra, by the way, the new She? No. Is so inclusive. Body types, colors, relationships. I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God. She-Ra is a lesbian? <laughs> and then I was like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, and then we, we went through this whole show. To her, it doesn't even... Doesn't fit her. Right? That's just what you're right? speaking of. That yeah. after a while, you finally insist on changing enough that your generation does, or maybe it takes the next one. And then they're just like, yeah? Yeah. Who cares? Yay. Right. What I've noticed about all of our guests is how much internal thinking they have done about who I am, where I belong. Why am I treated this way? Why do I treat people this way? Right. And so this internal self-absorbedness is a healthy one compared to the other one, which is you owe me. This is my world. You comply to me. I thought that was made just blisteringly clear when you spoke to uh, Chikozi uh, Obioma, who talked about racism and inclusion uh, and and his experiences coming from Nigeria. But being this just way out there award-winning author because of his his outside himself sort of thinking and, and how he applied that to his writing. But his experiences were so personal, so down to earth, so so real and raw when he was talking about the racism that he experienced in Turkey yep. uh, in particular, uh, where he really learned some lessons there. And he had made it clear to you that he had come from a family of means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were able to afford to send him to college. But the, the people that he was using in, as uh, parts of his stories were people who weren't so fortunate. Yeah, I always like when I talk to international people, particularly to ask them about their American-raised children, because I am always so so curious how their culture background and watching their American children grow up messes with <laughs> the parents' minds. Because, you know, Nigerian, you raise these children in America in Nigeria, you were well off, but America is so 
amazingly wealthy. Yeah, he he said that a lot yeah. too. Chigozi did. Yeah, which made which was like he took it home for me. America has no idea how wealthy it is. Yeah, I like the word he used was comfortable. Very comfortable. Like- and that, I don't know if I said it with the interview with him, but I was like, man, I, a part of me really wishes my husband could get a sabbatical in another country just so I could show my kids, this isn't what the world lives like. Right. This is fantasy land in the rest of the world. I just want my kids to have that experience because I think it gets lost as the more comfortable and older the generations get. Perspective is always healthy, I think. So Chigozi, I also really appreciated how he's able to, well, that he uses so many, he knows so many languages, and so he understands a lot about culture. And his one essay, which I we I don't know if we talked about, but it was, I wish I could unlearn a language. Yes. Yeah. Because he could hear what people were really saying about him. And that, that was really sad to me. Yeah. Well, that kind of like jumps into, I think, with like Harold Scott. <laughs> his idea about policing and community-based policing and knowing who people are and knowing who his neighbors are so he could better help them instead of arresting them. Uh, I feel bad thinking why that blew my mind. Well, I think it falls under, uh, he's giving the examples that a lot of what the perceptions are, I guess, of what defunding the police are about. He's talking about making sure that you are training people so that they do know the people in the right. community and that they treat them with respect. And a, lot, and a lot of the things that have gotten away from the police departments and precincts around the country that don't have that yeah. kind of respect for the people in their community. And we've seen the obvious examples. I think there are examples of police who, like, they'll play basketball with the kids oh, and sure. get to know the homeless and they know them by name. But uh, those stories don't bubble up. And when there's times of real strife, those stories get forgotten. Right. Well, I mean, but a lot of it has to do with distribution of wealth. And yes, it has to course. do with a great deal of poverty. It has to do with an, an incredible amount of mostly unrecognized systemic racism. The history of why we have this style of policing, why they're armed. Exactly. Well, this is the other part of that conversation is human error. Mm -hmm. I I really think we don't give enough grace for the fact that there's a lot of human error in what we do on every level of work, not just policing. But even in this conversation, we could go back and a fact checker would be like, actually, technically, that wasn't quite accurate. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, this is an opinion podcast, people. (laughs) You need to look up stuff yourself to make sure we're being accurate. (laughs) Send us an email after you download the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. What else do we have? We have Josh Gortler and uh, and Esme Jimenez both immigrated uh, to the United States, but in... Well, I suppose similar, but different ways. One papered and one unpapered. <laughs> Is that what we say? Documented and Documented, undocumented. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Josh Gortler escaped um, the Nazis with his family entirely intact, which is like amazing. Amazing. And they end up in Arizona, which is Jewish in Arizona, probably the only Jewish family in the whole whole place, and uh, realized he was white when he got on a bus. Mm-hmm. He's an older, uh, old enough gentleman to have experienced that kind of segregation. Yeah. And he was like, holy crap, I'm white. What I really liked about that episode is that we had um, Gigi. Gigi Yellen, yeah. who is mm-hmm. one of our uh, co-workers. She came on and she said, you know, talked about diversity. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about diversity, we are talking about skin color. But then there is this thing of 
there is diversity in religion. She came out. She, she yeah, yeah. As Jewish, as Jewish, right. right? Which in the office we all knew she was Jewish, and it never really like but her audience doesn't. Her audience doesn't, and the trepidation yeah. she felt yeah. about that. I mean, that tells you what humanity has done to the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. It's so intense that a woman in 2021 right. is hesitant to say on air she's Jewish. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something to think about. And then Esme Jimenez. Her parents were hesitant for her to apply to be a dreamer. Yeah. They did not want her to be documented like that. There is a risk factor with that. And that's just, you know, it's the thing that most Americans don't even have to deal with as they walk through life. Right. Again, my mother was telling me the story about coming to the States on the airplane in 1976. And the whole middle aisle of this jumbo jet was full of Korean or Korean-American adoptee babies still in their prams, so the whole middle aisle, and there's a few women taking care of them, right? And she, that whole plane ride was mostly full of children, and they all were being sent to America for a better life. Now, they did get their papers, and they were brought over through the church and Holt International and stuff, but just the fact that there are people who are sometimes throwing their children across the fence, hoping to God that their life is better than what they came from. Right. Oh, my God, America, such a big responsibility that they're so desperate that they'll break the law in order to get their kids here. That's pretty intense. Yeah. And and a lot of your conversations, uh, you know, with so many of our guests uh, were at times pretty intense. intense. We managed to to hit on uh, on some sort of deep subjects. And you said when we started things off uh, today, just in this conversation, how wonderful it was, how opened up people became during those conversations about their feelings, about their experiences, about their emotions, about your emotions, <laughs> about your mother, you know, all the, <laughs> which is, I mean, that I, I say that and I we, we laugh, but it, it is, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite parts about this season in particular, but this podcast is just how uh, how embedded in the conversation, you know, you became and invested in it. Oh, thanks. You are to be uh, commended. Uh, we, we really couldn't have done it without you as the host, I don't think, and had it moved forward uh, so much. I think we moved forward really fast. I think I, it's you guys who made it move forward. No, that's so. great. I, I hope that, uh, that, you know, and I think we feel like we are certainly a part of that, but we, you really need to have somebody who's having those conversations who, who gets that stuff out of them. Mm. Well, thanks, guys. I think that's a wrap. Yeah. Yeah. Wrap yeah. on season two. Excellent. See you in season three. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.